That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, here we are recording for October 17th. This is going to be uh, the 50,000th Sunday after Pentecost uh, as we now get really deep into the fall, headed towards Advent. I like to imagine this passage from Job beginning with the Lord answering Job. It says, who is this? But I like to think of him sounding like the singer for The Who. You're like, who are you? Yeah, who, that's right. Who, who, who? But before we hear more of my wonderful singing, Jacob, how are you and your squeaky chair? I'm gonna ha- I've just ordered a crate of WD-40. It's on its way to you right now. <laughs> no way. Then it loses its character. So that's, nah. uh, you know, so uh, I'm doing well. We're, uh, you know, in the midst of pumpkin spice lattes and everything that goes with that here in New York City. And so the fall has fallen, hopefully, and hopefully for you too, dear listener. And so um, we're doing great. How are you, Aaron? How are you? Good. I'm fine. Thanks. Glad you asked. Uh, uh, yeah, it's actually temperatures have dropped in Texas, so it's, it's uh, now sort of feeling livable and... Yeah, uh, we're in full swing of stewardship season that launched this Sunday. And so, uh, as every leader in a church who's listening to this knows how important that is. So, uh, But we're hopeful. It seems like a good time for ministry down here in, in Waco. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing all right. I, uh, I do feel a bit like, um, dear Job, I lost my wallet. And so, you know, and I've been uh, the whole time running around saying, why, God? And so, you know, and uh, waiting for the Lord to answer me in a whirlwind. But our readings today are from Job 38. He's going to say, gird up your loins. Verses 1 through 41, because you don't want to cut any of this out. It's too delicious. And then we have Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And um, be looking at uh, Melchizedek and all that that has to do. And uh, also a tricky passage there that uh, a lot of people like to throw at us, what is this all about learning obedience thing? And then we have Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45, um, where Aaron preached his best sermon seven years ago. It's been yeah, all downhill according. since. <laughs> That's right. I peaked early uh, and I'm um, just, uh, just phoning it in. Terry Richardson <laughs> likes to listen to the sermon and tells me. So, if you're listening, Terry, we love you. Also, I'd like to dedicate this episode of Samuel Song to Oliver Butler, who helped you and me, Jake, learn what an aroma pleasing to the Lord is, you know, like mm. these burnt offerings it talks about in the Hebrew yes. scriptures. We had we had uh, smoked meats at his house in Dallas where you were for a conference, and so I couldn't resist. You You were like a tractor beam pulling me 90 miles on I-35 from Waco because it was same old song in the flesh. And, uh, and so, thanks, Ollie, for that incredible smoked meat. Uh, yeah. Though I, I may have paid a price the next day. It was worth it in the moment. I definitely did. There was no doubt. And uh, I felt, uh, for a brief moment, I ate so much meat that I felt I was going to have a stroke. (laughs) And you know what happened when my eyeball started to sort of twitch? Yep. 
I had some more sausage and it was like that good. I mean, it was amazing. And so, um, yeah, I've well done, Ollie. I've still got some room left in my esophagus. <laughs> I get a little bit, just a little. After that meeting, same old song will officially be three seasons shorter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, well, so. we join you with our hardened arteries now to talk about Job 38. Uh, yeah, so this is, um, we're kind of wrapping up Job here. He's getting to the end of the book. We've skipped over a ton. There's a lot of deep philosophical discussions, conversations that Job has with his well-meaning friends and Job's own uh, deep asking of God, why is all this stuff happening to me? And this is where God answers out of the whirlwind and basically says to Job, you, it's a good question, but you don't really know what you're talking about. That's exactly uh, right. And it's unsatisfying in some respects, um, but gosh darn it, it makes me sort of respect our faith, our tradition, our religion, our beliefs, this text, uh, because any answer that you get to the problem of pain, the reality of suffering in the world. I don't know if you, listener, have ever asked that about something going on in your life. And if somebody tries to rationalize it and say, well, there's some deeper purpose here and, you know, God's trying to teach you something through this or, uh, um, I don't know, all those answers, if you are actually suffering, they really fall flat and they really often kind of minimize your pain and, uh, and are, are unsatisfying on some level. And so, here, what I appreciate is that God says to Job, Oh, 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 you, you have some questions. Uh, were you there when, when I laid the foundations of the, of the earth? Um, oh, oh, were you there when, the, when I made, I invented morning and uh, stars? Um, did, have you ever thrown a lightning bolt? Oh, no? Well, then may, maybe they're just the, some things that... that you would even if I were to explain it to you, you probably wouldn't be able to understand. Mm. Um, and again, I just think there's uh, there's profundity in sort of the, the silence of God. Um, and of course, and I, I mean, if you if you preach on this passage, I would say ultimately this the question of Job about God's presence and suffering is ultimately answered in Jesus Christ on the cross. But uh, well, that, that's exactly yeah. that's exactly right. Um, I love that uh, great joke. If you're going to preach on Job, maybe you want to tell this joke. But uh, these scientists come up to God and they say, listen, God, we have uh, figured out how to make a, uh, a person better than you out of dirt. And God's like, really? And they're like, yes, and we'd like to challenge you to a competition. And uh, so we're going to make our human out of dirt and uh, clearly be your human. Um, and so God's like, well, to game on. Let's do it. So they all show up on the competition day and the scientists begin to gather their dirt. And God says, excuse me, get your own dirt. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that'll, get, that'll get them. Then you have them hooked. But this is absolutely, what you've said is absolutely right. I think, you know, in the midst of our suffering and in the midst of pain, we want an answer to why. We immediately, and what's going on here really is that Job, uh, the righteous man, is doing everything that we do as well. Um, and that is we begin to place ourselves in the throne of judgment. Uh, we begin to uh, put God on trial almost. And this is this great understanding. I mean, some things are too big for us to grasp. Even 
the reason why we're suffering. There's this great scene in that uh, book, um, Hiding Place, about the life of Corey Tenboom. And uh, there's a scene when she's a small girl and um, her father gets some very disturbing news. And she wants to know what it is. And he's like, no, I'm not going to tell you. And she's like, please, I can handle it. And he says, okay, get my suitcase up on the train and... Um, I will tell you, uh, I'll tell you everything. And so, of course, the suitcase is so heavy and she can't get it on the train. She says, it's too heavy for me. And he says, absolutely, that's, uh, that's it. It's too heavy for us. And, uh, you know, in the midst of suffering, I, I love what Gerhard Forde says in his book on being a theologian of the cross. He says, oftentimes we don't get an answer to suffering. You know, Jesus from the cross cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's not like God goes, well, let me tell you, you know, point one, point two, point three. No, uh, uh, he's not given an answer. And sometimes neither are you and I, but we are invited into that question. You're invited into that question, and that's uh, in the most God, what appears to be the God, most God-forsaken place of your life is oftentimes the safest place to be. Mm. And you're invited to enter into that question as well, dear Christian, and uh, see where it comes out. And with Jesus, it comes out as resurrection. Yeah, and I mean, I think there are so many times uh, when we think about suffering in our own life, and it's just, it, it's so mysterious. Any attempt to explain it um, just comes across so flat. I when, mm. remember when... Um, I grew up in North Carolina where NASCAR is really, really big. And when it was at Dale Earnhardt, when he died, there was a, like a bumper sticker that was popular, God needed another driver. Yeah. Uh, which was like, and that's the kind of thing people say, like, well, God needed another angel or that so-and-so, like Mary Sue died because she was too good for this earth. It's like, no, that, that, those kinds of things just don't, don't answer the, the question. If uh, I'm sure... Dale Earnhardt's family and friends didn't really think God needed another driver. Um, mm -hmm. And so, that stuff comes across flat. And here, God just says, look, I, these are things more, um, they're just more than you can understand. And a lot of scripture has this feeling because God is trying to explain things of um, kind of boundless transcendence to us, these we squishy humans with very limited minds and... Uh, so, he's trying to put it in terms we can understand. And here, he just realizes there's no point in me explaining it because it, it, it wouldn't really make sense. Mm. And, but God, in his grace and mercy, enters into suffering for us. So, I think that's all That's all I would want to say about this. Uh, unless anything you else want to add, Jake, Kobe? No, no. I think it's perfect. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. All right. Uh, or as they say in, oh, there's no perfection, just progress. That's what they tell me on Peloton every morning, Jake. That's right. I'm with you. All right, so. Hebrews chapter 5, uh, this whole book, this likely originally a sermon that was preached, written down, and then circulated among the churches, is really trying to answer the question about who is Jesus? Is he a man who had a lot of good insight? Is he a spiritual being that made himself appear like a human? Uh, and the writer of the Hebrews wants to say he's fully God and fully man, and we, we get kind of both those things going on here in this passage. Um, if you were preaching here, Jake, what would you what would you begin with? So, I would begin by, because uh, you do have to set a little bit of context here and what's going on about who Jesus is, because the question was uh, coming about by these Jewish Christians, how is, because the Messiah was to put, fulfill three roles. He was to be the prophet, 
He was to be a priest and he was to be a king. And so the question uh, arose amongst the Jews, how is he a, a priest? Like we get how he's a king and we get how he's a prophet, but how is he a priest? And, uh, and so, um, because he's not of the tribe of Levi. And so this became the question. And so this is basically what the author of Hebrews is answering. The big thing the, uh, the author of Hebrews is answering here in this um, in this text is uh, uh, basically Jesus one is enough um, as the high priest, but here's how he is a high priest. And so he takes them back to Genesis. Now, if you remember, it's almost like St. Paul's argument about um, the covenant with Abraham in Romans. You know, the, the Jews in Romans were stopping with the Mosaic covenant. And uh, Paul says, you can't stop with the Mosaic covenant. You got to go to the Abrahamic covenant where Abraham is justified by faith and God credited to him. Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. And so now, but, you know, Abraham encountered another priest, a high priest appointed by God before uh, two, three generations before the Levitic line even begun begins. And it's this random scene, this king from the town of Salaam rolls up with bread and wine and um, and uh, has dinner with Abraham. And he's, he's Melchizedek, the king of Salaam, and also an appointed high priest of the Lord. And David references him in Psalm 110 once again, um, and uh, that he would be, the Messiah would be a high priest of the order of Melchizedek. That's basically the only time this is this place is ever mentioned in uh, Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. And uh, what 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 the author of Hebrews is making the point is is that um, like Melchizedek was appointed by God, Jesus is appointed by God in the order of that Melchizedek. So Jesus Christ, who is David's greater son, not being of the tribe of Levi, was appointed by God like Melchizedek to be our great priest. And on the basis of Christ's sacrifice, the king of righteousness and the king of peace, he's become now our righteousness and our peace. And so essentially what the author of Hebrews is arguing here is that um, the Levitic tribe never gave validity to Jesus, but rather Jesus's ministry gave uh, validity to what the Levitic tribe pointed to because Jesus is of the tribe of Melchizedek. (gasps) Sorry, I talked a lot. It was intense, but it was good. And you do see preachers that this passage does get a little bit difficult to you know, unpack in a Sunday morning because you do have to explain a lot of the context of Melchizedek. You got these two quotes from the Psalms, Psalm 2 and mm-hmm. Psalm 110, um, and there's just a lot there. But I think if you wanted to highlight a couple things, you can say that, um, you know, what what is a priest? A priest is someone who stands between people and God and um, mediates between that relationship because everybody has fallen short and God is perfect and you need to have some sort of uh, reconciliation made there. Every time you have um, cursed at a driver or a referee, you have you have cursed God because those people are made in the image of God. They're image bearers of God. Every time you have um, 
I invited someone over to dinner to your house in order to, for you to form a social connection that allows you to advance. You have objectified another person mm -hmm. and treated them as someone of benefit. So all that to say is you're all sinners. That's what I'm trying to get at. And so you need a priest. And priests, in the as this writer says, were also sinners themselves, had to offer sacrifices for themselves uh, and for the people. And the thing about Jesus is he is perfect. He um, does not have to offer a sacrifice for himself, but he does fully enter into humanity, which is why you get the language at the end of this passage about uh, Jesus uh, learned, obedience. learned obedience. I mean, he always was obedient because he is the Son of God and perfect, but he had the experience of being human and learning what that was like to be obedient as a human being. So, that's what this language is sort of getting at. So, Jesus is like a priest in the order of Melchizedek, but He's obviously, as you said, Jake, Jesus is actually the preeminent one, not, not Melchizedek. Uh, but because he is that priest forever, he can and did and does continue to stand as our one mediator and advocate, reconciling us to God the Father always and ever. And that's really where you want to preach this passage. Yeah, and, and so therefore, Jesus, you know, and so in the midst of our subjective wonderings, like if you're in a Job mom moment, you know, if you've ever wondered, are you good enough for God? If you've ever wondered, have you done enough for God? If you've ever wondered if God loves you, uh, what this passage is really trying to do is to pull you up outside of yourself and fixate your eyes on Jesus, our great high priest, and his sacrifice for you. And know that um, because of him, you are good enough and you'll be saved and that all the benefits of his eternal kingdom are now yours because Jesus yeah. is enough. And I will say, just there is one note here in verse 7 where it talks about Jesus' prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And we don't know for sure, but it is highly, highly likely that this speaker is thinking here of Gethsemane, is thinking of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, there's a look I, I mean, here I at the cross. Yeah, I mean, it's... This is it's, a commentary on Holy Week, big time. Right, exactly. And this is the love of God for you, is at that moment in Gethsemane, um, when he fully felt the pain of this moment, it wasn't some facade, he really felt it. But this is the kind of love that he has for you. This is the love that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have for you. Uh, and so, he is the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And again, obeying him, this passage, verse 9, is one of those things where people are going to twist it and say, if you're good enough, God will save you. That's not what it means when it says he's the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Because what is... Jesus' command, obey him, it's to trust in him and not in your own works. That's right. So, it's not saying be good enough so you can get into heaven. It's rely totally on the work of someone else for you, the gift of salvation, and that's that's all you need. Um, uh, and we're about to see in Mark 10 an example of people being not perfect and needing somebody outside themselves to, to save them. And their names are Jimmy and Jack, or as you know them, St. James and St. John. That's right. James and John, Zebedee's son. That's what mm -hmm. I named them. That's their last name. Zebed yeah. Zebedee's son. The sons of Zebedee. The bow and Ergies, the sons of thunder. These so uh, fishermen. Yeah. What's they, going on? They, they've seen Jesus doing a lot of great things. And they're like, here, I mean, not only is he an all around wonderful entertainer, but hmm. he is the Messiah. I mean, we've seen him feed people. We've seen him heal people. We've seen him do all of these things. Um, the moment is coming. Here's our king. 
where he's going to overthrow Rome and do all these amazing things. And so what do they want? They want to be at his right and left-hand side. Hey, Jesus, we've been with you from the beginning. We need, um, we need a note. We need a receipt that you aren't going to forget us, you know, when you come into your earthly kingdom. And so they say, let us sit at your right and left-hand side. And Jesus basically fires back and says, you've got no idea what you're talking about. What you're yeah. talking about, Willis? Were you there when I laid out the foundations of the earth? <laughs> exactly. There's a little bit of that there. I you mean, know? that ties right back into it. Yeah, so these, uh, you got to admire their boldness. They got chutzpah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just say, um, we, have, we just, have a small request, Jesus. Do whatever we ask. And he's like, well, okay. You know their moms were like, get in there and ask Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now's, goes, now's your chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Um, yeah, they boldly ask to sit one of the right hand, one of your left. And what's amazing about this is they think, again, yeah, like you said, they're asking to be not just members of the entourage, but they really want to be in the inner circle. Uh, you know, when you're elected president, Jesus, we want to be secretary of state and defense. We don't want agriculture, labor, or those other cabinet <laughs> positions that no one cares about. We want to be like... Transportation. Yeah, I mean, come on. We want to be, we want to be real secretaries. So... Uh, but they, again, this is theology of glory versus theology of the cross. Jesus is a king, but his kingdom doesn't look like anything that we, uh, understand. His, his throne is a cross, um, and he's going to die. So, they think they're asking for power, but they're, what they're really asking is to be crucified. Because there were people on his right and his left when he was crucified, and they were, uh, these condemned, uh, robbers, uh, bandits and whatnot. So, uh, he... It's actually a mercy that he says, no, you don't know what you're asking. And then he uses this metaphorical language. Can you drink the cup that I drink and baptize with the baptism I'm baptized with? Can you, mm. can you be, can you go under the flood? Baptism is a word that to us has a very specific connotation of a religious ceremony. It yeah. is the Greek word that just means immersion. Immersed. So, he says, can you be dunked in the bucket that I'm about to be dunked in? Uh, Which is the sins of the world. Yeah, can you do that? (laughs) Uh, And And I love uh, their answer, you bet. Yeah, totally. Yeah, sure. You can imagine them like looking at each other like, wait, was maybe he's not talking about what we think he's talking about. Is he, what is he, is he, maybe? So, um, yeah, this is, uh, um, yeah, I I was just thinking, I, kind of spaced out for a second. I was thinking about Jafar in Aladdin, where he oh. thinks at the end he's like getting all the power or whatever, but actually he's getting trapped in a tiny lamp. I don't know if that's a good illustration. But anyways, mm-hmm. he thinks, the, the James and John think they're getting one thing, but actually they're getting, they will get something totally different. I'm, and Well, yeah. they, I mean, I love it. He says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I, which, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Um, you know, because these two are going to, this is a prophetic moment. Jesus is prophesying, you're going to suffer as well. I mean, James is killed by Herod in the book of Acts. And, uh, and uh, John is exiled to Patmos. And um, I mean, this is, you know, but to sit on my left and right hand, that's already reserved for some real sinners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so there's a multiple thing that he's talking about here. Like he he's absolutely talking about the people that are going to be crucified uh, on his right and his left. Uh, but he's also like in lots of scripture, there are layers of meaning, and he's also talking about um, his heavenly throne and all that. So there's a lot of. But basically, he's saying, 
you don't know what you're talking about. You're grasping at power, but but to follow Christ is is downwardly mobile, and um, and they're they're about to find out um, exactly what it means because Jesus is headed towards his death. What's interesting here, verse forty one. The other ten disciples hear this, and they're angry with James and John, not because James and John. Uh, they don't think you guys did a bad thing by asking to be the best disciples, the most powerful disciples. They're angry because they didn't think of it first. Like, they've already had all these conversations about which one of us is the best or whatever, and clearly James and John think they're the best, but the other disciples think they are the best. So, uh, they're not angry because they were so impertinent. They're angry that they didn't think about it first. And so, Jesus has to call all of them, not just James and John and rebuke them. He has to call all of them and say what he's already told them before, that you need to, if you want to be first, you got to be last. And ultimately, we will not be able to do this because Jesus says that he's the one that's going to have to give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom, lutron in, in Greek, is um, it, it implies that somebody is, I mean, it just does today and in English, like to be ransomed, you can only be ransomed if you're stuck. You can only be ransomed if you're held captive by somebody stronger than you. And the picture of human beings we get in the New Testament in this passage is people that are stuck. James and John are stuck in their grasping for power. The disciples are stuck in their envy and bitterness and resentment towards James and John. Um, they're all stuck in their ignorance about who Jesus is and what he's about to do. They don't get it at all. And so Jesus has to come, not to whip us into shape, but to give his life as a ransom for many, to give something incredibly valuable to free us from something that's more powerful uh, than we are, which is sin and death. And so, but that's what Jesus is going to do because he loves us and loves the disciples. And if he's willing to do it for these guys who are like, we want to be the best disciples secretly, Jesus, we're coming to tell you. Like if he's going to do it for those guys, you know, he'll do it for us and he has done it for us. So there's some, there's some grace, there's some mercy. Jake, do you think if we ask Jesus to sit on his right and his left hand, where, do you think he would give that to you? Um, he's uh, promised it in the age to come to sit at his right and left hand side and enjoy and feast with the wedding banquet forever. So that is one of the great joys of being a Christian. And By so, the grace of God. You bet. But uh, not in this age. <laughs> not for now. Uh, so. All right. Well, I think, I mean, is that going to do us for... Uh, yeah, happy the, preaching, everyone. Sunday, and, October um, 17th. All right. Yeah. Have a great well, week. Well, go, go back to your squeaky chair, and I will, um, I'll see you next week, Jake. Take care. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.